Hello and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday from 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on our website, please leave us a Google review and if you're watching via social media, get involved in the comments below. We'd love to hear your comments and if you'd like to suggest a topic to us, it's propertymatterstv.co.uk. Just put hello on the front of it so it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you don't have time to watch the whole show, you can watch us on the move with our podcast version of the show available on our website from all the main podcast platforms. And we're also live on Dilso Radio throughout the week too. Let's take a look at the property news with our property expert, Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, hello. Good morning. Good morning uh, <laughs> to everybody. Yes, I'm half asleep there. Obviously, you can see um, uh, early on a Sunday morning, a bit, so, a bit too much. But anyway... Um, uh, yes, welcome, and of course to our viewers and listeners. And of course, I'm sure Paul's got lots and lots of questions for me, and as testing as he always is. Indeed, and let's just take a look at our first story of the week. Trading standards issue important updated guidance to agents. So this is basically those common terms that they use on all the property portals, Joe. Things like new to the market, new instruction, under offer, sale let agreed, sale let subject to contract in advertisements, marketing boards and also on property portal, property portal listings. Delays in updating a property's listing status or use of incorrect descriptions can lead to frustration for all involved in the buying or renting process, as well as risking agents breaching industry codes and their legal obligations. This updated guidance is intended to provide consistency and clarity by providing a working definition. We hope this helps to reduce unnecessary confusion, they say, uh, for property agents, consumers and other organisations on the property industry. I can imagine, Joe, and, and your, your first-hand knowledge of this will be very invaluable here, that uh, you know, if you don't actually keep those uh portals up to date then obviously everyone's surfing there's thinking they've got a chance of getting a look at this property but if uh, um it's not done then of course they're not and i think there are you might you'll be able to tell us i'm sure some some legal obligations that you have to abide by yes it's an interesting subject it's a good subject to bring up and yes it's always uh confusing for uh buyers as much as it is uh for sellers and of course agents and they're each one of them have their own agenda here that you have to appreciate. Um, and whilst the trading standing officers are going out and telling us what are the right verbiage and the right way to deal with these things, they are probably not the people that are experienced in what we call first-hand experience, actually being in it. Um, and so, um, yes, there are there are terminologies, and, and this is not the first time they've visited this. Some years back, they did the same thing as well and of course try to say that what words are correct and what is not correct and what the size of the board should be and all that other stuff that they probably spend their time trying to work out what we need to do but the reality of it is this paul um, and the reality is this to all of our viewers and listeners and that is that you know there are you know it's like everything there's two sides to a story um first and foremost yes there are terminologies that are perhaps sometimes misgiving but also uh, about how and where a sale or a let may be. So let's take, for example, just starting with the basics, and that is like the for sale sign. The for sale sign actually tells you exactly what it is. It is actually for sale. Um, now, what we don't know um, in, in the background with these scenarios is, you know, what the purpose behind that for sale situation may or may not be. 
Um, and that is something that we cannot always disclose. Um, and though we should be able to, some of those things are personal to people. They may be going through um, a separation. They might be testing the market. They may, there's the whole bunch of issues that are behind that we can't actually advertise and say, we can simply say the property is for sale. Um, and when a buyer is found, uh, an acceptable buyer is found and an acceptable offer by the seller, then the property can be sold subject to contract or under offer. The reason why those terminologies are slightly different under offer sometimes conjures up that there is an offer, but it's kind of still available because we haven't concluded a deal. And the sold subject to contract is perhaps that we are now progressing with a contract um, under the legal terms, the, the papers are in the lawyer's hands and so forth. So there's a lot of, you know, gray areas, but equally, from an agent's point of view, and that's the version that I want to give you, is that you know nothing is sold, nothing is um, agreed until they've actually physically exchanged contracts um, with their solicitors to say that the deal is done. Um, everything is open, and it's open because it could be that whilst we are trying to side with the buyer that they are misleading, buyers are equally misleading because they come into you as an agent and tell you their ability to buy something and it's not until you actually start to unravel their circumstances and you find that their ability is not to buy that particular property. So you have to leave, leave it loose. Reason why they put up a board saying that it's under offer or sole subject contract, from an agent's point of view, that is about winning more business. So if you are in the street, so let's say you, it's a property in your street and and you deciding you're thinking about selling your own property and you find that there is a board up on the market which said for sale you know five days ago and five days later is now saying under offer the potential vendor that the agent is trying to attract is is the one that is now thinking about selling and they go well, actually that was quick they sold that very well that's under offer quickly that's the agent i want to go to so you know they want to go to so the agent has their duty to run their business and whilst trading standards can go around telling us all how to do it what they don't do is pay our bills um, and, and so therefore we have to market the properties and market them in such a way to win other business and so sold subject to contract is a powerful statement isn't it I mean, imagine you're going past a house that's been on the market across the road from you and it's just gone uh, you know within five days and then a build goes up sold and the subject to contract is microscopic at the bottom um, because it's a terminology we have to clarify that it's sold subject to contract. But the power word is sold, isn't it? It's like it's sold and you're going to go past that house or it's going to say it's under offer. You're going to go past that house and go, wow, that was done quickly. You know, we're thinking about selling our property. Maybe we should call that agent in because they did that very quickly and very swiftly. So it's a winning of, of more business. And that's why those go up now. 10 15 days later that sale could have fallen through that sale you know that buyer is probably not able to buy and all of a sudden the sticker comes off and it says it's for sale again that is equally misleading why is it misleading because the guy like yourself who might say okay well actually i'll use that agent because they sold that quickly is now going to say oh i wonder what happened why did that fall out of bed did they not do their job properly so it's a real fine line between when and how and why those signs have got to change. And that is probably not summing it up, but that is a, a real reason 
of why these these uh, um, signs get changed or don't get changed or remain for sale in my world a sign would say for sale until such times a survey has been done so you know no pain no gain as far as i'm concerned if the buyer has not managed to get a survey done on the property and has you know no skin in the game hasn't spent the money on doing a valuation then as far as i'm concerned it's up for sale until that is done now another agent might say well hang on a minute boom you know enthusiastically we had it on the market two days ago two days later we've sold it let's stick the sold stickers up then they come off five days later then another one goes up and actually that message is a wrong message as well because that says to them that they're not actually doing their job properly and they're waiting so you know i hope people can understand that these that it's a similar situation on letting now letting property today is very very different to what it was perhaps 30 years ago you know uh, because there is so much more that is involved in lettings be done so many um, uh, you know legislations that have to be covered um, and it might be that you know that person doesn't qualify to rent that particular property or another person in the current climate might have come along and paid more to rent that property so it's not let until such time it is but the enthusiasm of the agent is that they want to win more business and to win more business they've got to tell the neighboring properties the neighboring owners that they are the agent to go to yes it's interesting that the use of these terms is actually voluntary but of course if you don't keep it up to date and accurate then you fall foul of the uh, consumer protection from unfair trading regulations of 2008 this guidance appears to the marketing of residential property for sale or rent and is principally um, based on that application so basically if you misunderstand people if you mis um, misguide people or mislead people uh, over what the property situation is then you can fall foul of those um, uh, voluntary those guidelines and indeed the law but uh, you don't have to use those terms, but let's just have a look at them. So new on the market then, Joe, a property that's not been advertised since the last sale or let of that property. It should only be used for a short period of time, new on the market. How long's new? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> how long is any of this gonna be, to be perfectly honest, it's all about a, a matter of opinion, really. But new, I suppose one could, you know, I, I, I've always said that if anything is priced correct, um, it will be uh, either let or sold within the first five to ten days. So you could probably say, you know, up to ten days it could be new um, because the process in the current um, market takes anything. I mean, you could put a, a property on the market, you know, in an hour, but the process of actually getting that marketed out to your database, people viewing, all that kind of stuff, fixing appointments, could be anything between five and 10 days. A new instruction, which is uh, where a property has been offered to an agent to market, but that could actually have been the fact that the sale, the, the property was on the market with another agent prior to being sold or let. And that again should be only used for a short period of time. So new instruction, basically the same as new to the market, but this could have been, of course, have it because it hasn't sold with somebody else. Yes, and again, you know, you could clarify that terminology a little bit by just saying, you know, um, we have just been instructed. So, you know, it's a new to us as opposed to it being new on the market in general. And that could be quite confusing. Um, but of course, the problem with 
on most things nowadays is that there is a footprint and so if you went on to any of the portals you can see that it shows when the last agent or which agent had it on the market and which agent or what date they put it on what date they took it off it's, it's very clear on that so yes new to the market is new to you and you could probably say you know it's, it's just for us that it's new new and exclusive is the next one joe but that's just sole agents isn't it well most properties should be in in the first as sole agents um and of course it can be exclusive to that person um but the question is was it you know new and exclusive 10 days ago 12 weeks ago whenever that agency ran out to the other agent so Again, it's it's very woolly, isn't it? I mean, what trading standards are doing here is are giving us all these new terminologies, but actually they're about as woolly as a cotton ball that you're going to actually have in your table. And then the next one is reduced, a property that's recently been reduced in price. Any reduction should be a genuine reduction against the previous price in accordance with the Chartered Trading Standards Institute's Guide for Traders on Pricing Practices. So what's, what dodginess has been going on for them to say it's got to be a genuine reduction? Well, I think, again, you know, what they don't get, it, back in the days, Paul, you know, back in the times when we used to have newspaper advertising and not portal advertising, there was, you know, you used to be able to use a slash for argument's sake. So you could turn around and say, you know, reduced by £30,000 slash from 199000 to, you know, 175000 That genuinely showed that there was a, a reduction in the property. However, portals don't allow such luxuries as slash it's you know this price or that price so you can only say that it's been reduced i.e the word put on there reduced and the new price but you can't put on there reduced from and to because that's too complicated for the portal systems to do but in the newspapers it was a lot easier to actually you know put a, a slash across there a bit like saying it's a sale and 25% reduction, you know, you know, when, when retailers use those words, but you try and do that on a, on a portal on, on um, places like Rightmove or Zoopla or et cetera. They don't have a ticks box category to even allow that to happen. So trading standards maybe should speak to the, the portals and tell them that they should have all this different type of verbiage available for agents to be able to use to be correct. They say to substantiate that new on the market, new instruction, new and exclusive and reduced should only be used up to a month. Anything over a month, courts are likely to see that as misleading. So next one, under offer, a property where an offer has been received, which is under consideration by the vendor, but the property is normally still on the market, which a lot of people don't realise, I think. Further offers may be dependent on the view vendor's written instructions. This description should only be used until the offer is accepted or declined. Yes, again, so yes, you can get a vendor's uh, a letter to say or an email nowadays to say that, you know, they've accepted the offer. But most vendors will say that we want to continue to um, offer that property until, like I said earlier on, I personally would say that it's not under offer until such times as a survey has been done. It's still for sale. But agents will put under offer on rather rapidly purely because they're looking to win other business. Strikes me that there's a lot of legwork in sending people out from the office to go and change signs <laughs> well, <laughs> for the status of properties. It's not just the legwork, it's the cost involved in it as well. Mm. 
you know, when you've got a, a contractor who's put a board up, each visit, you would be shocked to know, is probably about 25 pounds. So, you know, you've got to be think about it. So whilst somebody at Trading Standards is probably sitting there at their desk saying, oh, they should do this or they should do that. Like I said, they don't actually put their hand in their pocket. So that's what they've got to realize that this is not the way it would be. So me personally, as, a, as an agent, I would only put and change those signs until such time as I think that I'm actually on, on, a, on a course to this deal going somewhere. If I didn't, then as far as I'm concerned, everything is for sale until exchange of contracts. So sale agreed, this is where the grey areas might start to come in for some people. A property where an offer has been accepted by the seller, but, for example, contracts may not have been prepared or the buyer may not be in a final position to proceed. Property may or may not still be on the market, i.e. further offers may be made dependent on the seller's written instructions. The seller's decision on future marketing is material information in this context and should be clearly stated on property listings to avoid any confusion amongst potential buyers. This description may be used until the property is sold or the sales for sale falls through as the case may be so uh, yeah so that is um because we've got sales subject to contract so maybe talk about the two the difference between sale agreed and sales subject to contract it's to be honest with you one of the same situation it's just words that are used in in terms of you know where we feel comfortable as an agent so if you drive around you'll see a variety of them saying sale agreed sale agreed and in the bottom of that in the smallest possible letters it will say subject to contract and if it says sold it also says in the smallest possible letters subject to contract everything is subject to contract. under offer is subject to contract um, all of the terminologies have all been caveated by subject to contract because obviously until such times as contracts have exchanged it is all subject to that contract and but the sale agreed the sold subject to contract or the under offer are what the agent feels are his bywords in order for him to win business in that area where he feels comfortable with and some of them feel comfortable with a straight sold and then subject to contract underneath it because that's powerful isn't it you drive past a house that was on the market five days ago, 10 or five days later, there's a board saying sold. That's pretty powerful. Uh, you put an under offer on it, you know, it's kind of woolly um, because you think, well, is it under offer or is it under offer? Have they sold it or they not sold it? Sale agreed is saying exactly what it says. We've agreed a sale, but it's not a done deal. So it's just about how someone perceives that, that whole uh, verbiage really. In Scotland, they have sold subject to conclusion of missives. Uh, this is where a property is under offer, uh, where the offer's been accepted, but the sale has not yet concluded, pending the exchange and agreement of the missives, which I assume is the contract. In interestingly here, the property should no longer be actively marketed for sale. In rare cases where the sale may still, through, still fall through, hence the use of this description. So in Scotland, they do subject to contract. I'm assuming that's what conclusion of missives means, but they have to take it off the market in terms of advertising. Yes, I mean, the Scottish rule is actually more, def more definitive. Um, you know, when somebody has made an offer in Scotland, it's pretty much a binding offer there and then. Um, as opposed to an offer that is made in the UK. The offer that is made in the UK is as, as woolly as it could be. You know, any man and their dog can actually go down and say, well, actually, I'll make an offer on that. 
um, whereas in Scotland, if they're making an offer, they are binding themselves um, and so therefore are probably cautious in making an offer. But if they have made an offer, then it's more seriously taken and the chances are that they would have to remove that property off that because, you know, they're going to be spending money. It's, it's, it's about, you know, what, what commitment somebody makes and the chances are in Scotland, they're probably going to pay somebody, you know, solicitor or whatever, five, six hundred quid, a thousand quid, um, pretty much immediately in order to get the paperwork or pay for the paperwork that has been prepared. So there is a level of commitment, a serious commitment, where in the UK, um, you know, you can walk past somebody and say, yeah, I'll make an offer on that. And that means nothing until a exchange contracts. Finally, in the uh, purchasing side of things, sold is where obviously a property sale has concluded, resulting in the buyer becoming the legal owner of the property. But here's the here's the thing: sold property listings should be removed in line with property portal requirements, relevant codes of practice, and local planning laws. So, I can understand why an agent would want to keep the sold sign on the portal because it's obviously a good sign of the fact that they've been shifting stock. Um, but clearly there are rules about how long you can leave sold properties on the portal and indeed signs yeah. outside the property. Yes, um, uh, both situations. The signs outside the property can be, you know, up until such that woodworm gets to the post. Um, and um, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's advertising um, and um, so it's going to stay up there until somebody takes it down. Portal ones... Um, the portals now are as such that they, you know, will say to you that you're paying for the stuff that you're actually displaying. So if you're displaying it and it says sold, then you're actually paying for that whilst you're not being able to advertise more stuff. So you can remove it, um, but it can be removed in such a way that it show it doesn't show on your site, but it shows that it was available. So there's a footprint um, in, in the background. And so when people research properties of that area or that type, they'll find that there are properties that have been on the market previously. Um, and, um, and so they can use that as a, as a database or something to compare, one, um, compare with going forward on an offer that they might be thinking about making on what is currently available. But in reality, anything that is sold under offer or let by should be marked that and removed from the portal because the people that are actually paying for that are the agents, not the buyers or the letters or, or the tenants or the landlords. In terms of letting, I found something interesting to discuss. I mean, to let is obvious that one. Under offer is when the landlord is considering uh, a rental proposition from somebody. Let agreed is when they've agreed it in principle, but interesting, let agreed, they still haven't received the deposit from the uh, the renter so let agreed still means it's still open season in effect um, whereas let is at the point when they have received a deposit and the person is moving in interesting i didn't realize that let agreed that sounds like a done deal well this is the same as as we said earlier on a sale agreed you look at it and you think oh well that's sold i'm not going to look at that again but actually so sale agreed subject to contract let agreed is you know, again, similar. It's only subject to a contract. That contract or the deposit monies hasn't. I mean, in the in the current flowing of the letting market, there should be nobody actually whacking up let agreed. Um, but if they are, they you know they they've got to have the deposit in and and the paperwork signed. Um, so, but let 
a pure, clear statement saying let, um, as is in a sale, a pure, clear statement saying sold without the subject of contract is when a matter has exchanged contracts and money has parted and the deal is done. Interesting story this week from uh, Butterfield Mortgages, who've done some research. Around 27% of borrowers have opted for one or more early lump sum repayments over the past year to cut the size of their mortgage, according to new figures. Uh, the, the number paying a lump sum rises to 49% of borrowers on tracker or standard variable rate mortgages opting for lump sum payments. A quarter of those who have remortgaged since June of last year have selected a fixed rate, which the firm attributed to the higher interest rate environment, making mortgages uh, more volatile in terms of rates. The research added that 20% of borrowers have delayed or abandoned their plans to buy a new home in the past year due to higher rates, and 13% have downsized or moved to a cheaper property to cut their mortgage repayments. I guess this is people, Joe, looking at what the returns have been um, in their um, bank account for their savings, and they thought, well, might as well pay the mortgage down. Yes, of course, at the moment, the, the market is great for the, for the saver. Um, so right now, they're probably, going forward at this moment in time, they're probably not taking those steps, and you know, they'd rather earn some good interest on their money and, and enjoy that. And of course, um, it, they may be that they may not have such high mortgages, or uh, rates at those levels from previous points where they maybe had fixed rates. But you're absolutely right, you know, when they were earning hardly any interest on their money, they would have probably been wiser to actually pay down or clear large chunks of their mortgage and actually reduce their outgoings and make sure that they, they were enjoying that. And that's probably the, the stats that have been put together are probably historical stats over the last you know, prior to the last six months, because only literally in the last six months to uh, to eight months, we've had 14 consecutive rate rises. But prior to that, we were at, at a much, much different state. So these, these stats are, you know, within the year, and they will vary quite a bit from maybe 12 months ago to eight months later on when, you know, um, Liz and Quasi turned up and, and, and buggered entire, the entire marketplace for us. So, you know, and they probably that was you know, now I'm looking back at it. I'm sure I'm sure that that was a, a well planned situation because they were never going to get to increase those rates at the rates that they have now done so, um, you know, in the long term. I mean, it took them ages to get them down to that level and it would have taken another five, ten years to take them up. But it's taken them six months to take them as, as uh, to the levels that they are at five and a quarter and potentially five and a half and maybe up to six percent uh, in order to which will be the new norm as opposed to the quarter percent. But yes, a lot of people, when the, the, they were not getting enough return on their investment sitting in the banks or the builder society, chose to clear chunks of their mortgage in order to reduce the amount that we're paying each month. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, 44% of people think we're not at the end of the mortgage hikes yet. And so 22% brought forward their home buying plans to uh, escape further rises. I mean, I think the truth of the matter, Joe, just summing this all up, is that actually this is a full-time job in itself, isn't it? Just looking at what you're getting on your savings, what you're having to do on your new fixed rate, when should I move in the market, when should I not move, when's the bottom of the of the, of the the trough, as it were, where's the peak going to be? You, you could spend your entire life doing this day in, day out. For those that have sufficient savings in their accounts and actually don't have another job, it's a great job to have so they can actually 
monitor what's going on. But for the average Joe in this situation, you know, who are working day in, day out in order to try and just keep the, the bread on the, and, 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 and the water on the table, they don't have the time to do such calculations and, and they got to live by, by the seat of their pants as, as there is. And so, yes, it's, it's, it's difficult for, for most, but it is like a full-time job um, in order to do this. And especially the last six months has been a very much a full-time job because you're always wondering at what point is it going to go back up again or what point is some, something going to change. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, everybody's tunes has been changed with that, especially the banks. I mean, banks have been putting out mortgage offers, first of all, which are very, very difficult to get. But if they do get them, they are now, you know, putting a much lower um, time frame for them to be drawn down than it used to be. And we used to be available for three months. So if you had a mortgage offer delivered on the 1st of January, right, you know, you had to January, February, March, you know, probably up to 1st of April almost before you can conclude. But now it's within 20 days because they're not sure when the, the rate's going to change. So even now, as we speak, the, the rate went up to five and a quarter. Inf rate of inflation is shown come down this week. But, you know, the chances are in the next um, bank meeting, the rate will probably go up another quarter percent. So between th this last week or 10 days to the next time, you know, the lenders are going to say, well, here's your offer. You've got till 10 days to do it. Within 10 days time, we might have to pull that back and readjust your figures because the rate may go up. The number of interest-only mortgages, this is a subject that we haven't, I think, covered on Property Matters, is interest-only mortgages, not in any detail anyway. But the number of interest-only mortgages has halved since 2015, now standing at 750,000, and part interest-only coming to 245,000. didn't even know that was a thing, to be honest. The latest FCA research says that the decrease was due to <laughs> borrowers moving in greater numbers onto repayment loans or repaying earlier than expected. The research said that interest-only mortgages make up nine percent of the total number of regulated mortgages and part and part consists of three percent it continued that the remaining interest only mortgages the large number was set to mature in 2031 and 2032 with 72,000 and 77,000 respectively and it noted there was a smaller peak of 51,000 of these products in 2027 interest only mortgages i guess these are people that took these out when we had these endowment mortgages in the 90s Absolutely. Interest-only mortgages were a mortgage um, product that was um, geared on the basis that there was an alternative to pay off the capital at the end of that term. Um, and that started in the 1990s, um, going into the 2000, early 2000, until the financial crash in 2007 happened. Um, and so since then, there have been probably more encouragement to do um, uh, interest um, and capital repayment mortgages so that people can pay off um, the actual capital in the long term. Um, and the chances of interest only mortgages coming back again is fairly high because the rate is now so high that capital repayment mortgage is now going to be almost beyond most people's reach. Um, and the interest rate only mortgages actually came in when you will remember the rates went up to sort of 15, 18% at one stage in its life. Um, and therefore, you know, a repayment mortgage was almost an impossible task. So they came with this idea of having a side-by-side -side, um, endowment or pension or other related products 
that allowed you to pay off the capital at the end of that 25 year term. But the reality of it is that none of it actually came to, together. And so there was a lot of interest only mortgages. And in the last few years, there would have been probably more capital repayment because like we said earlier on, people had maybe got savings or sold assets or inherited money that they had got. And they would rather have paid that off and reduced that interest only or turned that interest only to the balance of it as a capital repayment. So they would have paid off a lump sum. Let's say there's a £400,000 mortgage. They might have said, okay, we've got £200,000 because we inherited that or it came from whatever sources it did. And I'll pay that off. And then the balance of two hundred will turn that into repayment because we can now afford that flexibility. And then in the next five, 10 years, we'll clear off that as well. And that'll be that done and dusted. Yeah, let's talk about the fact that obviously an interest only mortgage, you need to pay back the capital, as you say, at the end. So let's just have a look at what happens when you get to the end. Figures show that 22,000 mortgages had not been repaid at the end of their stated mortgage term in the second half of last year, which is quite a lot. Uh, which is 2.2% of the total number of interest only and part and part mortgages. Within that figure, half were overdue by 12 months or less and only 9% uh, overdue by five years or more. The median balance on an interest only mortgage is £140,000 with the median term coming to eight years and median borrower age at 56. So most of them are aged 56, they've got eight years to go and they've got 140000 outstanding. This compares to capital and interest mortgage where the median balance is 115000 the median uh, remaining term is 19 years and the median borrower age is 43. So it's definitely an age differential there and I'm sure that's got to do with the interest only mortgages of the 90s. But let's just talk about that fact for a minute Joe because a lot of people decided to cash in those endowments and go and have a lovely cruise and take the family around the world and worry about the property when they get to the end of the term but those people are now coming to the end of the term and I guess really the advice is talk to your lender or downsize. Yes I mean there's two things there one one is that the endowment mortgages that were done the endowments just didn't perform at the level that they were expected to so um, and, you know, the reality of it is this, Paul, and, and for, for our viewers and listeners, is, is, is basically this. If you have a mortgage payment of, let's say, um, £500 a month, you then have a separate endowment payment of maybe another £150, £200 a month, um, which is going to pay, theoretically, it's like an, it's an insurance policy that is going to mature at the end of the life of your mortgage, and hopefully the value of that maturity should be or should have been what is outstanding as the capital on your loan. That's how it was designed. However, when things get tough, the first thing that goes is always the luxury goods, isn't it? You know, if, you're, if you've got insurance that you're paying out for the benefit of the long term, but actually it's £200 a month that you now could not afford to pay, what you're going to do is you're going to get rid of the endowment policy. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to look at what is the endowment actually policy do doing. It was a unit linked policy designed with the stock market back in the days. And if the stock market had had a bad day, so did your mortgage situation have a bad day. And it's not something that you control. It's controlled by somebody else who is playing the market for you. So the reality of it was a lot of people thought, you know what, to hell with this. <laughs> I ain't going to pay that couple of hundred pounds. That endowment is worth 15 or 20,000 pounds because that's what it's worth over the last five, six years. I'll take the 15, 20,000 pounds 
and I'll go on my cruise or I'll pay for something in the house or I'll refurbish it. But they stopped making that. And that £200 a month made a big difference to their every month outgoings because they still had a £500, £400 mortgage that they had to be paying for. So it wasn't a particularly brilliant product. The idea was good, but it didn't actually gel. Now, had they done that as a overall figure and not actually done it as an isolation, which is probably what they should have done in hindsight, is said, your mortgage is going to be not £400 a month, it's going to be £600 a month. But in that £600 a month, the mortgage company is going to be contributing 200 of that towards your endowment for the end of it. When you leave something to the person individually to make that decision, so if you had to make that decision between you, your wife and your family of having another £200 a month going out, and that's potentially something that's going to pay for something in the next 25 years, or do I live and put food and bread on my table now because everything else has gone up, the £200 a month is going to go. But if the lender had actually incorporated that in within their whole thing, then, you know, it wouldn't be down to you to make that change. You would just have to pay the one payment of that mortgage and the lender would actually almost um, facilitate um, administrating the endowment. And the chances are that that may have been successful by now or, or at least partially successful. So that was the reason fundamentally behind um, the endowment and the way it was and that interest only mortgage, you know, came to light. Now we're at a stage where the interest rates are so high or they are higher than they were, you know, even six months ago. Most people are beginning to think, well, actually, you know, I can't afford to have a repayment because that would mean that it's not 600 pounds. I'm paying maybe 800 pounds a month um, and I can't afford to do that. So uh, the likelihood, you know, of interest only mortgage, especially for first time buyers to come back in will come in, I'm pretty certain, watch this space, you heard it here first, as they say, in the autumn budget, um, because they want to kick start the market again, and they'll probably offer 95% mortgages to first-time buyers at interest only. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because ironically, those um, endowment policies are starting to perform again now that interest rates are going back up again. So those that have held on to them may well just find that they start to perform again. But I suspect many of them are probably at the end of their life. They say that 65% uh, of interest-only borrowers have 200,000 or more in equity in their home and just under half have 300,000 or more in equity. Only 3% have less than 50,000 and a further 10% have between 50 and 100,000. More than half of interest-only customers were taken out prior to 2009 and 88% are in active books where the remainder are in closed books. 82% of people say they're confident in repaying their outstanding capital, although the FCA say that many of these people will be over-optimistic. It pointed to 36% of borrowers expecting some shortfall in repayments compared to modelling, implying that this could be closer to 46%. I mean, even if you had 200,000 or 300,000 in your um, uh, property in terms of equity, you've got costs to come out of that when you downsize. And also, I mean, especially if you're going to be in the southeast, what are you going to get for under 300,000 if you've had a family home? Yes, I think those sums don't make sense in certain aspects and certain parts, but the, the, the model can make sense. The model can be such that your houses have gone up in prices from the time it was. So 
to, to give you some example of stuff that I'd sold over the years. So I always go back to my starting years, that a property that I sold in Hayes at 34,950, 34,950 pounds, a three bedroom semi is today on the market probably about 700,000 pounds. So if somebody had taken so bought that halfway through, they might, might have bought it for £400,000. It's still gone up in value. And, and if they sold it, they're probably clear off their mortgage and, 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 and be done. But they would have to move further out in order to go and find another property that is going to be mortgage free to do that. We saw a lot of that happen in the race for space and in the pandemic time because people thought, well, actually, you know, this is a great time for me to leave the, the smoke. You know, I'm going to be covered with COVID. I'll leave here, sell here and go to, you know, the country where I can actually now go and buy myself a house completely free and so forth. But a lot of those people actually, to be honest with you, now regret doing that. It's only the family ones that are OK, but the younger ones are saying, we want to go back. We want to go back to the smoke. We want to go back to the city. That's where their life is. Um, and so that's now become expensive to do. So it's all about timing at the end of the day. Uh, as to when this is right and with that. In terms of time and age, people are living much longer. So the mortgages were always 25 years. Most lenders are having to stretch um, to 35, maybe even uh, 45, 50 year mortgages um, in order to do that. And that's why there's, there's longevity in these mortgages that we are now talking about. Um, and they will continue to be that way. And you still talk about indefinite period mortgages a bit like the United States where they just transfer the mortgage onto the next person and it can be a fixed rate uh, going forward so lots there but I have to say my little caveat on that I am not a mortgage advisor and qualified this is purely general um, opinion and views of my experience and knowledge but uh, uh, of course we do always have Bob Singh uh, who's available and qualified as a mortgage broker uh, and I'm happy to take any questions and put them to him and try and deal with them. My knowledge is pretty strong, but I am not a qualified mortgage broker. Yeah, it's probably just worth reminding at the end of the show here that there is an email address if you have a specific question you'd like us to ask. Hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk is that address to email us and we'll do our best to answer your question on the show. And if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine too. So Joe, thank you very much indeed for another Property Matters. We'll be back soon with another show. <laughs>